When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It's the Buckeye Talk we've all been waiting for. The national championship preview. Hard to believe. Here we are, right where you expected this program to be in some ways and in a place where you never thought you'd be in other ways. Monday night, Alabama, Ohio State playing for the national championship. This is our Saturday Buckeye Talk podcast. We're recording it at 8 p.m. Friday night with a Zoom room full of texters. So thanks to everyone who is here joining us. Thanks to everybody who is listening. Thanks to everybody who subscribes to the texts. We have eight texture questions, a survey that's going to sort of take us through the discussion. The line currently is about eight. Alabama favored by eight. We will get to the actual picks at the end, not because we're trying to tease anybody, but because I think the discussion hopefully will illuminate some things. And maybe lead us toward what everybody's going to decide what they think is going to happen in this game. And so, Nathan and Stephen, we have the survey from the texters that we sent out on Friday afternoon. And I'm going to use those questions to kind of help us flow through this Buckeye Talk podcast. And the first question is this that I want to start with. And it was pick the side of the ball that will be the biggest reason that the game is won. So it's really, I mean, it's, you know. So Ohio State offense versus Alabama defense, that's the same matchup, but which one matters more? So it's those were the choices. Ohio State offense, Ohio State defense, Alabama offense, Alabama defense. Steven, if you had to guess, what do you think won the survey as the side of the ball that really will be the determining factor? Ohio State defense, Alabama offense. So there's four choices. So you got to pick. So it's like the one that matters. So you know what I mean? Like if it's Ohio State offense – Versus Alabama defense, you got to pick the one of those two. So you know what I mean. So there's actually four choices. It's all four separately. Mike, oh, this correctly. Hold on. Can you? Oh, okay, read through. Hold on. Let me just pull this freaking survey up. So it's again. you know the four sides of the football game. So it's yeah. It's, I'm saying well, I was right then. Ohio State's defense versus Alabama's offense. Okay. So it's so it's Ohio State's defense is the one you think is the most. That, yeah. The defensive part of it. Okay. Nathan, or do you agree with that? Do you think that people thought Ohio State's defense will be the thing that will determine this game? I think so, in so much as that is the area where we they are the most concerned that Ohio State won't be at full strength. It's not. It's Ohio State's offense, and I think I agree with the texters. 
because I think there's a world that a lot of people are thinking. And again, if anybody in here wants to raise their hand or wants to chime in in the chat where uh, you almost are accepting the fact that Ohio State's defense maybe won't really be able to stop the Alabama offense. And so then it comes down to the Ohio State offense outscoring Alabama. And then it's about the Ohio State offense operating at absolute peak explosiveness, peak efficiency. They hit big plays. They don't have silly things happen on third down. Trey Sermon breaks tackles. Garrett Wilson catches, passes over the middle and explodes. Chris Olave goes deep. They throw to the tight ends. That's where my head was. So 45% of the people said Ohio State offense is the most important thing. 28% said Alabama offense. They're like, you know, hey, maybe the Alabama offense is just going to be so explosive. That's what's going to determine it. The Alabama offense being itself. 25% said Ohio State defense. That's pretty close. And then the Alabama defense is a thing nobody's talking about. Because from an Ohio State perspective, I don't think anybody's thinking like, oh, this Patrick Sertan is going to show up and shut down Chris Olave or something. That only got 2%. So, Stephen, are you surprised 45% said Ohio State offense? And and do you disagree with that? Or would you understand the people who said that? I said that 45% said that. What do you think of it? I get it. But also, I think I'm less worried about Ohio State's offense, um, given what what Trey Sermon is doing in the run game. And it seems like Justin Fields is back to normal as far as throwing the ball and Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave still exist. And all the rumors that are going around about who are, who may or may not be playing are on the defensive end. And that's already the lie, the worst, probably the worst part of all of the four parts of these two teams. That's probably the worst part is Ohio state's defense. So when, and now you're missing two value, maybe some valuable, some more valuable members off of that defense. It, it does kind of come down to, okay, okay. I think we can score on Alabama, but can we get enough enough stops that all that scoring pays off? The idea, do you think, though, that Ohio State's defense could play like not that well, don't get that much pressure, don't really stop Najee Harris, don't really slow down the pass game, but Ohio State still wins? Like, is that possible, do you think? Or do you think the Ohio State defense has to get a couple of key stops, force a key turnover, or could both teams just like practically score every possession and just Ohio State, you know, last team with the ball wins? No, I, I think at some point, even in a shootout, you have to get a stop or, or two at some point. Because let's just be honest, like the, when Ohio State ran away with that Clemson game, it was the fact that they got a stop, then scored before halftime and then had an opportunity to go up 42 to 14. Now, obviously, Justin Fields ends up throwing an interception, but that idea of you got to stop and now you get scored and you have an opportunity to score again right out of halftime is where you win those type win shootouts. And so at some point it has to happen. At some point, Jonathan Cooper and Tyreek Smith started getting sacks and Tommy Togiar started forcing fumbles. So, but you're saying, so you think if that kind of similar thing doesn't happen, Ohio state probably can't win. No, because Alabama is going to get at least one stop. Nathan, where are you on this? What do you think of the idea of that really it's more about Ohio State's offense being at its peak and just putting points up constantly and that Ohio State's defense doesn't really have to be that good and that that is some kind of formula that Buckeyes still could win? 
I suppose that's a formula they can win with. I would argue that that is not the formula that they won with against Clemson, though, because we talked about it immediately no, after the pod. I agree. This is, this I is agree, what I'm though. getting at. This is what I'm getting at, though. It's it's. I think that the, the defense has to be an engine for the offense the way it was in that game. I think it's got to be at some point in that game, you're going to have to be a catalyst for the offense. You have to get the offense the ball back and let them go to work and let them, whether it's quick strike, whether it's those long drives. And I think if you're not interrupting what Alabama does, I, I, I guess – I'm not as confident in Ohio State's ability to just trade scores and win this game. I think they're going to have to interrupt Alabama at some point. So I'll be curious again, Nathan, if people have uh, have thoughts in the chat. Here's what I think, though. I think it is more likely that Ohio State's offense just scores step for step with the Alabama offense than it is that like Ohio State's defense gets sort of significant stops along the way. Because I, I know, I think we all agree, yes, that was a formula against Clemson, but Bama has a better offensive line. Bama has better receivers. Their running back is as good, if not better. And Mac Jones is not Trevor Lawrence, but he is the point guard of this offense. And we'll get to some other things. I don't want to dive in all the way on the Ohio State defense, but I, at the moment, as and I just got off watching some more breakdowns, watching some more Alabama games, reading a lot more breakdowns. Here's who I read. I read Deontay Lee who is doing great stuff for us at cleveland.com and did a great breakdown of this game. X and O stuff for us. I read Landis. Landis did a really good breakdown on both sides of the ball at the athletic. And I read Seth Galina from PFF who was talking about what Ohio state might need to do defensively. And I just feel like the things that people are explaining that Ohio state kind of needs to do defensively to try to stop Alabama. I am not sure they can do. So I really, I would definitely say, Ohio State offense is the most important thing, like keeping up with Bama and trying to get one more score than they do. So I'll be curious to see how this discussion evolves, the level we have some specific things about the Ohio State defense we'll get to, but sort of the level of faith in the Ohio State defense, not to have to be great, but to get coming some of these key stops versus the level of faith in the Ohio State offense to just roll and keep up. James, we'll go to you. You're unmuted. What do you think about this? Hey, thanks, Doug. I honestly think that, you know, obviously that Clemson team that we just played was pretty solid team. I mean, I honestly think that we did a really good job on offense, obviously, in executing. But I think that something I noticed as a, a, a fan is just looking at our defense, Sean Wade was, like, giving so much cushion to the to the Clemson receivers. It was almost like they were trying to, like, not allow – long progress yards and as you guys talk about in the podcast all the time that's why that's where Clemson kills you they don't kill you in those small every you know every down every down kind of thing they kill you in those big breakaway plays and I think that's what we need to eliminate with Alabama as well because obviously they have those killer receivers that can you know cut the top off of a you know defense pretty quickly so I just like to see the the defense you know kind of uh contain a little bit every time Sean Wade did that he got burned and he got tripped up over going across the middle. I mean, I just, I just want to see him play better. Uh, I think he, you know, uh, this is, this is the game that he can make or break his NFL season that he's getting ready to get drafted in. If that's, you know, if that's something he's able to do. So. Yeah. And some of those coverage things he's doing, he's, you know, when he's bailing and playing some of that off coverage, that's stuff. Sometimes they're calling, sometimes they're asking him to press up and be more impressed, man. They're trying to disguise looks a little bit between man and zone between cover one and cover three. In some of those looks, I do think we've seen Sean at times. It's like the ball in the air um, sometimes is an issue, but there are some very specific things 
with this Ohio State defense against Alabama's passing attack. Steven, when you have watched Alabama, and we'll merge into our next question about which Alabama skill guy are people really worried about the most. Steven, when you watch the Alabama passing attack, what is it specifically? Either in the routes, in the way Mac Jones gets the ball to people, you know, which guy is it? What is it that you think is, is, is most worrisome for Ohio State? It's get the ball out of Mac Jones' hands and let Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle, when he's healthy, do all the work. And to that point of that, that, that technique isn't going to work against Alabama the same way it did against Clemson and against some other teams where it's pressing bail because you're trying to take away a deep ball. And I understand part of the, this scheme is to limit big plays, but their big play isn't a 40-yard bomb down the field. It's a two- or three-yard pass to Devontae Smith, and then he takes it 40 yards himself. And so it, the key is more you – know, Tackling in an open space, obviously, that's, that's on linebackers and on the secondary. But also, you got to make these wide receivers com- uncomfortable at the line of scrimmage or else Devontae Smith has no problem doing what Clemson kind of adjusted to in the second half where it's, oh, if he's going to bail, we're just going to stop the route right here and get him the ball. Uh, Gum Hire D in the chat is saying we're not playing any cover one, and that's, that's something I want to get to. I don't know that Ohio State can play man in this game because I don't think they have the, guy, the guys – to try to run with these receivers. And as Steven said, they kill you on crossing routes. They kill you on crossing routes and slants and stuff across the middle that doesn't look like much. And then all of a sudden, Devontae Smith has the ball 10 yards from the line of scrimmage with a step on a guy and he's gone. I think they are going to have to play cover three. They are going to have to vary the looks. That's what Seth Galina at PFF was talking about. Is Ohio State going to have to come out and maybe show something they don't normally show and listen, we're not the X and O's experts on this podcast. We talk about robots and French fries. So you guys know that. But I think a lot of the X and O experts on this are dialed in on the same stuff. And we have talked a lot this season about single high safety versus a two safety look. The single high safety that Ohio State plays basically more than any team in the country. It helps stop the run. It brings another guy down in the box. But it's more of a static defense. You don't have as many looks that you can move into pre-snap. They did a lot more of that. They moved some stuff around at times against Clemson in the past couple of years. They played two safeties at times. They might, there's a world where do you play two safeties here more? And there's a world where, again, Seth Galina's talking about this is do you play nickel more? And you only have two linebackers on the field with two deep safeties and that slot corner. And you're almost turning yourself over to the run a little bit and saying, like, all right, Najee Harris might run us over, but we have to be able to vary the looks pre-snap against Mac Jones. We have to be able to rotate coverage pre-snap and we just need to be able to cover these receivers. We talked about it a lot going, we talked about a lot with Clemson, Nathan, do you move off the single high look to a two safety look? Does this feel like a time to do that? Nathan, that again, this receiver talent bonkers and we'll get into it more, but would you adjust if you were Ohio state, the, the one thing, and I don't mean to keep saying Seth Galina, except this piece was really good. And he was talking about how Ryan Day offensively against Clemson, Ohio State did a lot of things offensively against Clemson. Clemson didn't expect a lot of things that wasn't on tape. And his belief is that Ohio State has to do the same thing defensively in this game. Give Alabama things that they haven't shown on tape, and that's more the two safety stuff. What do you think of that idea, Nathan? And would Ohio State have the personnel and the ability to execute it? Yeah, I think they have the personnel, and at this point, you you sort of just have the personnel you have that, and you have to go out and execute whatever is going to work for best for you. And I think, I think the two safety thing is going to 
makes a lot of sense for two reasons. Number one, as you say, just the receiving talent that they have. I think you're going to need that extra help. I think you want to give yourself that that potential space to work in because you're just when you when you tighten it up. I think I think you're right. I don't think they have the guys to go man to man with these guys across the board. The other thing is, though, uh, as you probably saw in a lot of those games that you watched, um, it seems like Alabama does a lot with motion before the snap play action stuff obviously the rpos they're they're really well known for running and i think the two safety look just gives you some extra cushion to play the kind of discipline defense that you need to play i think having one guy closer to the line of scrimmage in those situations potentially leaves you in a space where you're getting caught off guard caught off step and then now you're now it's a problem now it's a big play and to the point you talked about maybe playing a lot more zone than man, man doug I don't know if Mac Jones is that accurate. I know the, what the numbers say, they, what they say, but also it's a lot, like I said, it's a lot of short passes where it's, you get the ball to guys early and then they make it, they do all the work. I don't know if I've seen a lot of film of him, you know, picking apart a defense if they did just play zone all game. Mm, I think I don't doubt Mac Jones's ability to do that. I just like that option better than the other option. And I like, so the, the thing that's paired with that is, if I were Ohio state, I wouldn't want to get caught up in a lot of man coverage. So if you sit in a zone, then I think you need to get pressure because if you can get pressure and you're in a zone and so he can't just stand back there all day and pick it apart, I think it's your best choice. I don't, you don't want Devonte Smith catching a bunch of eight and 10 yard passes in the middle of the field on the run and taking off with a guy trailing. So if you can avoid that, but now we get into can Ohio state get the pressure that they need to get in that situation. And that's a thing that we're going to get into in another thing, because that I think is one of the main key things about this. Brad, your hand is raised. You're unmuted. You are up next. Hey, guys. I was just watching the Notre Dame game, and Alabama came out the door and was just blew away Notre Dame. But Notre Dame was able to get some stops. How much of that is Alabama taking their foot off the gas, you think, and or Notre Dame's defense being able to somehow contain that? I thought it was a little more foot off the gas mm-hmm. than anything else. I don't know what it is otherwise. I mean, you watch, I, you know, you watch that game and you do see that you watch so many other games and you don't see as much of that. Steven, did you think Notre Dame had something that worked or that, that Alabama was off a little bit, or do you think they just got a lead and, and pulled back a little bit of both? I mean, Notre Dame's a, a pretty decent defense. So you give them a little bit of credit there, but a, a little, a lot more of, you're up and you're just trying to get out of there. Um, I, I think we have to take that into consideration. But, yeah, I, I, Brian Kelly's had some good defenses at Notre Dame, and this is one of them. So you give it a little bit of credit. But I don't think that should be the expectation. Whatever Notre, what Notre Dame was doing against Alabama, that shouldn't be the expectation for what Ohio State may or may not be able to do against them. All right, let's merge into the Alabama skill, guys, and we'll make sure we get to the good Ohio State players too. This is not a doomsday. We're not doing a doomsday preview pod. Listen, Ohio State – absolutely can win. And I'll just tell you right now, I'll drop my analysis of the game. I think if, if Ohio state's Ohio state, like with enough, with their guys, with enough of their guys to be who they are, I think it's a toss up. I think the Mm -hmm. hardest thing to analyze is with all the COVID rumors with obviously Ohio state's going to have some guys out. How much are they not going to be who they are? And so now you try to factor that into the equation. If you line up with, all your coaches and just normal football injuries and no COVID stuff. I think Ohio state is playing at a level. And I think Alabama is vulnerable enough on defense that it's either way it's either way, but now we're trying to factor in 
who might not be there. And then that works a little bit against Ohio state, I think. So that's the preview of like my brilliant analysis of the game, but it's just, it's hard to analyze it sometimes when you're not exactly sure everybody who's going to be there, Alabama skill guys, who worries you? I only gave four choices because uh, uh, I had you rank them actually. Cause I now I know how to use the ranking tool now. And again, like I, when I figure out with this, when I figure out technology, I'm just going to start waking people up at three o'clock in the morning and asking them to rank body parts and be like, rank the parts of your wrist. Do it for me now, because I just love the ranking thing. So now it's, you don't have to pick, you get to do an order, rank and order the Alabama offensive players that worry you the most. The choices were Mac Jones, Najee Harris, the running back, Devonte Smith and Jalen Waddle. I actually, the guy that I thought would win finished fourth. And we'll tell you the ranking scores. Nathan, who do you think was the highest ranked guy of these Alabama skill guys that were Ohio State fans? I think they picked Devontae Smith. Steven, who do you think they picked? I'm going to go Najee Harris because of what you just said. Okay, so they picked Devontae Smith. I didn't think they picked the Heisman guy. (laughs) Honestly, the thing, as I'm trying to analyze this game from an Ohio State perspective, the thing that worries me the most is Jalen Waddell. Because I don't know what his deal is. And if he is back in a somewhat significant way, it's just like, oh my gosh, but he finished fourth. So the ranking was this. So it's weighted rank, right? So it's, you all did it one, two, three, four. So Devonte Smith's final score was 1.27. So most people put him number one. Najee Harris was 2.24. Mac Jones was 2.95. Jalen Waddle was 3.54. So most people put Jalen Waddle fourth Nathan on one hand it's like of course Devontae Smith he's obvious you got to have a plan for him but also it's like he is unbelievable catching stuff and making something happen after the catch and so I mean of course it makes sense that he's number one but as you've watched Alabama and he won every award there is to win what did you think of this guy no, I mean, he's he's legitimate. I mean, you, you saw it, I thought, in, in every big game, too. I thought you saw flashes of it in the SEC championship game. I thought you saw flashes of it against Notre Dame. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, a 250-yard um, otherworldly performance, um, but it's just consistent. It's it's consistent um, – a consistent elevation of that whole offense. I think that kind of that flows out of him a little bit. I think if I were picking somebody though, I mean, the one that the guy that would, I would have, I think I might've voted for Mac Jones, number one on that list. Explain. Because just of the, the supreme efficiency that he has, the way that he is so facile within that offense and the way that yes, they have incredible weapon at running back, incredible weapon, at least one at receiver underrated guys uh, in some capacities, other places. And he's the guy that is just like clockwork done a great job of, of just keeping that thing. Well, old machine the whole season. I feel like if you were to put someone back there who was, quote unquote flashier, more talented, whatever, but maybe didn't have his kind of metronomic, whatever that, that kind of like X factor that he has um, for getting rid of the ball so quickly. And maybe it's not downfield accuracy, but it's certainly accurate enough and everything else that they do. I, I think that maybe doesn't fully take advantage of this offense the way that he has. Steven, did you actually think, would you have voted for Najee Harris or were you just guessing Najee Harris? Who would you actually pick? I'd have voted for Najee Harris. Um, just because if they, I think my Ohio State chances of winning this game go up insurmountably if they can take away and make them a one dimensional team. And 
they have to rely on Devontae Smith, especially if Jalen Waddle's not playing, and they have to rely only on the passing game is because that's exactly what they did to Clemson with a similar type of build of an elite running back and an elite wide receiver and an elite quarterback, but they had to depend on the passing game because Ohio State slowed down the run. So if you have to deal with what is already an elite passing game and also the Doak Walker Award winner is running like the Doak Walker Award winner, you're probably not going to keep up scoring anyway. He's really good in the hole, man. He, he yeah. can make a cut, a nice little jump cut, little sideways move. J.K. was like that in a lot of ways, just like that little instinctual, but also you rep it a million times. It's like that. It's not even a wiggle. It's that that sharp, quick cut and then go. And he's plus he's got the power and the speed, but really good movement in the hole. I was just going to get whoever had their hand up. I was about, about to call on you. Brandon. Uh, and Brandon, if you put your hand back up. Okay, Brandon, you are up. Fire away on Buckeye Talk. I was going to say exactly what Steven said about stopping Najee Harris. That's why he's the most important, because if you stop him and make them one-dimensional, exactly what we did to Clemson, they rely on the pass. When you rely on the pass, that's a lot harder to do all game than it is if you have a solid running game holding the ball, wearing down the other defense. I, I mean, I think it's a it's a good point by both of you. Steven, the one thing I guess that th- that's not just – personnel and execution at scheme right so with mm-hmm. that would you say let's keep the single high safety let's keep the three linebackers on the field let's stop the run first which is what their base defense is aligned aligned to do let's do that because we want to limit Najee Harris and force them to be one-dimensional is that how you would then sort of stick with what got you here with the defensive alignment I think that first series you have to attempt it because they're probably going to try to establish him early So you have to kind of set a precedent there. Now, obviously, third down, you do what you got to do. And as the game goes on, you probably are going to play more to safety look. But I think those first that first quarter, especially, you need to maybe establish the fact that Najee Harris isn't going to be a factor tonight. And then Sarkeesian has to look other places to maybe get production even out of him because then they'll probably start trying to use him in the pass game as well. Nathan, anybody in the chat we need to have chiming in here? I was just actually looking back through that. I want to make the quick point about the running game too, though, that it's, I I agree that if Ohio State does what it did against Clemson, it's chances of winning increase. I would remind everyone that it's chances of doing what it did against Clemson are less though, because of how great Alabama is up front and uh, how much better Alabama is up front in Clemson, I guess is the better way to say it, that it's a better offensive line. And I think Najee Harris is a different kind of runner. I think Travis Etienne doesn't really run right at you the way that he will at times and he has all those other abilities as well. I just think it, it's going to be tougher to make Alabama one-dimensional than it was to make Clemson one-dimensional. Yeah, I mean, I think that offensive line is really the difference. You're right yeah. on that. that. Whatever Alabama's offensive line is whatever times better than Clemson's offensive line, which just makes things more difficult. Let's go to the Ohio State side of the ball because uh, people like talking about that. Rank and order the importance of Ohio State skill position players in this game besides Justin Fields. So I put Mac Jones in for Alabama because they have the Heisman winner and stuff. I'm not going to put Justin Fields in this because we know Justin Fields is number one. So the other options were in ranking order, Trey Sermon, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and the Luke Farrell, Jeremy Ruckert tight end combo because the tight ends were so good last time out. I think the point has been made that Alabama's given up some stuff to the tight ends. I was curious where people would put the tight ends. Steven, what do you think? Who do you think won and who would you vote for? I mean, we know who I'd vote for, but I think Trey Sermon won because that's an element that I don't think anybody expected to happen. And now that it's here, it just opens up so much. Him running the ball the way he did against Clemson is why those deep shots were available in the first place. So if that's an 
if oh, Alabama has to worry about Trey Sermon as much as Ohio State has to worry about Najee Harris, then we're talking about a different football game. Nathan, but, what do you think? Who do you think won and who would you vote for? I think I agree with that because I think as we've watched this unfold, even going back into the spring, when we were first talking about Ohio State's national championship aspirations. We knew Alabama was sitting out there. I'm like, what's the one thing that has maybe changed the most about what we know about Ohio State from then until now? It's that Trey Sermon is a different running back than we thought he was three weeks ago. So I think that's maybe who I would vote for as well. That's who I would vote for also, and it's who won. Trey Sermon, 1.45 in the ranking. Chris Olave, 1.94. Garrett Wilson, 3.16. Luke Farrell, Jeremy Ruckert, 3.45. So most people, that's the very pretty obvious order of things. Sermon, the obvious number one. And it's funny because I'm sitting here, and I actually sort of disagree about stopping Najee Harris to make Alabama one-dimensional. I think their pass game is so dynamic that I would sort of play the two safeties and maybe play more nickel and then maybe maybe play two linebackers more. And, like, if Alabama's answer to that is run, 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 it's like, okay, good. Go ahead and run. Let Najee Harris run for 250 yards. Let's not let the pass game kill us, and let's try to win that way. So that's how I'm thinking it. I would think is the Ohio State defense – but yet now on the Ohio State offensive side of things, I do think Trey Sermon is the difference. I do think of all the things, here's the one thing I think, as I said, I think if every if both teams are pretty much themselves, it's a toss-up. I do feel like Ohio State has a few more things that sort of have to go their way to, to stay a toss-up. And Stephen, I, I, maybe everybody here on this Zoom and everybody listens in this camp of, Man, if Trey Sermon's not really good, I think it gets hard for Ohio State really quickly. Like, I think Trey Sermon is not like a bonus here. And you can tell people about the story you wrote and the people that you talk to. Like, in a game like this with the points we expect to be scored, like, Trey Sermon is a must. Like, this offensive line must be great, and he must be great. It's how he's run. It's him getting cursed out by his trainer, um, which he texted me and was asking why I left out the curse words and I had to explain to him that, well, um, I can't give you a raw version of a story. Family but, website, family, yeah, family website. website. It's, it's not HBO over here. But I, except, I just, except, except when we talk, except when Doug says something about a really good cooch. Bingo. Yeah. That's, that's our, that's where we draw the line at cooch, but it's, it's, it's the way he's been. <laughs> it's the way he's been running. It's how this offense kind of works. It's a lot of play action. The, the way Ryan day wants to call plays, whether he wants to admit it or not, he needs a, a, a dominant running back and he needs a dominant offensive line to set the tone for a lot of those things. All right, let's move on to the other Ohio State offensive question specifically that I asked about this. What's your view on Justin Fields for this game? And if we remember back to a couple of games ago, we were asking, you know, what's your confidence level in Justin Fields? I think it might have, was it going into Clemson or was it going to Northwestern, Nathan? And it was like only 20% were like, he's awesome, he'll be great because there were so many questions around him and there's where they were. And he was I, awesome. He was great. I think it was going, I think it was going into Clemson coming off of Northwestern. Okay. Yeah. So only 20% of texters were like in the, uh, he'll be awesome category. What's your view on Justin? I'm worried that Alabama will slow him down was the most negative answer. He will be good, but he needs help was the next answer. He will be excellent, but he can't beat Bama by himself was next. And then the most positive answer was he will be excellent. And the reason Ohio State wins that like if Justin Fields is awesome, that's the formula. 
Buckeyes win if he's awesome. So Nathan, which do you think won and which would you have voted for of those four answers? I would have voted for C, I think D won. No, no, no. So what you gotta say the things. What was the what's C? C was he'll be excellent, but he needs help. Okay. D was he'll be excellent, and that's the reason Ohio State will win. I think that's what okay. the texters picked. I would pick he'll be excellent, but he needs help. Steven, what do you say? He'll be excellent and he needs help. And I think the Texas picked that as well. I think the days of, oh, they won because they have Justin Fields went out the door. Uh, Steven is right. 54%. He'll be excellent, but he can't beat Bama by himself was 54%. He'll be excellent. And the reason Ohio State wins was 30%. And then he'll be good, but he needs help was 15 and only 1% thought Alabama would really slow him down. Nathan, what is it about this? When you think about Justin Fields in this game, it feels like to me, and I think we say this with every Nick Saban defense and every time you play Alabama and any time you play a talented team that's disciplined and has a good defense, you talk about the quarterback run because it's the hardest thing to account for. So Justin Fields scrambling will matter in this game. You can watch the Florida game. They put in their backup quarterback. I think it's Emory Jones at times to run him. Kyle Trask near the goal line ran a couple QB draws that worked. So I do think Justin's running it will, will matter here. But I also think Justin feels like has a chance to like have a gigantic passing game and kind of do what he wants to do against this Alabama defense. Nathan, where are you with Justin? I think I agree with that. I think though the caveat for that first part of it is I don't think whatever happened to him and whatever he's dealing with as far as physically, I don't know that I expect that to have really much of any impact on his passing. Um, because obviously, as we saw against Clemson, even when he kind of adjusted to that, he was still throwing bombs. He was still throwing darts. He still threw like four touchdown passes after he got smashed. So I don't know that that's going to be an issue. But I do want to see, as we've said all along, it's the dual threat. It's, it's the feet, too. And as much as he sometimes has had to adjust to not having that first instinct to use his feet, staying in the pocket, making plays that way, I think if you completely remove that option, that makes him a different quarterback. We saw that in the postseason last year, right? That even against Wisconsin, it, it didn't look the same when he felt like he couldn't run at all. And if this, whatever happened to him, if there's enough residual to it that either he feels like he can't run or they don't want him to run, not because he can't physically run, but because they don't want to expose him to more hits, I think that's an impact in this game. Where are you, Steven? I think he showed me last game that he'll, he's willing to check the ball down, and that just opened up a whole new world where – I'm going to buy time not to throw a 40-yard pass. I'm going to buy time, and then Trey Sermon's going to slip out, and then he's going to run for 12 or 13 yards and get us a first down. And so I, I that that before I, I was a little bit more worried, but after you saw him maybe be the polar opposite of what we thought he was going into this game as far as his ability to go through reads and willingness to check the ball down and not feeling like he has to get every single yard by himself, that opened up a whole new world for me in Justin Fields. I think every level of the passing game is there for him now because yeah. he is checking it down more than he did all year. I think the intermediate stuff's going to be there. I think Garrett Wilson across the middle of the field is going to be there. I think those easy money outs, 8, 10, 12-yard outs to the sideline that he makes NFL throws, I think those are there. And you see people get behind this Alabama defense. So all that play action stuff, Chris Olave going deep, 50 yards down the field, like I think that's there too. So I don't know when you watch this Alabama defense, it's it's not a – it's not a pass rush that, like, I think is going to throw Justin Fields off his game. You know, Patrick Sertan is really good. He's one of the very best cornerbacks in the country. 
But, you know, I mean, Trayvon Grimes, like he had good coverage on Trayvon Grimes in the former Buckeye in the SEC championship game. And Trayvon went up and made a play on the ball and every corner gets beat sometimes. But I just I don't see a lot, Nathan, from the Bama defense that makes me feel like Ohio State is going to be all that prevented from doing what it wants to do in the pass game. No, I think that's probably a, a, a fair statement. And we, we saw it again when Ohio, when Alabama played multiple offenses this year that gave it trouble to the point of its own defense being the reason it almost didn't win those games. Like it might not be here right now. Well, probably if even if it still be even if it lost that game to Florida, it would still be here right now probably. But you know what I'm saying? Like the, the defense was susceptible. Now we talked to them. We asked them. We asked Pete Golding. We asked defensive players this week what happened in those games. What, what was the issue? Um, I think it was Patrick Sertain that was the one early in the week was like, well, we just didn't communicate well, but we feel like that's something that we can fix. We felt like that was a fixable problem. It wasn't like systemic that they can just adjust. They can, they can perform better and they can with the personnel they have and they can win. So I think this, we look at so many things from the Ohio state lens, but I would imagine if we were covering Alabama, that this would be a topic of conversation right now, right? Like have, has Alabama proven itself defensively enough that it isn't susceptible to having what happened to Clemson happen to them. Steven old miss tempo early in the year was a big thing. When people talked about how old miss put up a bunch of points on Ohio state, we know Ohio state does go tempo at times. We've seen it. How much do you think that should be part of the game plan? Cause they had, they used the sugar huddle last week against Clemson to combat the sign stealing and it worked very well, but we know they can go fast. And, and that's often a way historically that's been one of the better ways to try to get after a Nick Saban defense. Yeah. I'm, I don't know how much we're going to see that huddle this game because they're not worried about, you know, the other defensive yeah. coordinators. Yeah, we're not gonna, I don't think we'll see it. So no, they yeah, fast. Is, I think they will. Yeah. I think we're going to see a lot of tempo, especially in that first half. Um, Cause shootout mentality, they're going to have to put up as many points as possible. So I, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Sorry. I agree with that analysis. So I do think, They'll go tempo, and I think I could see moments where they hit a pass play, they get up to the line of scrimmage quick, and they hand it off to Trey Sermon, and he busts through a hole. Like, I think it's going to be some tempo run, some lean on him fast, um, hit him, hit him, hit him with Trey Sermon in the run game. And I do think I do think they won't use it all the time. I think they'll use it strategically. But Ryan Day's got a lot in the playbook here. He's got, he's got a lot of options of how to deploy. And I do think – that will be used maybe judiciously, but I think strategically, and there will be drives where it feels like Ohio State gets them back on their heels. And Ryan Day usually always says this, you got to get a first down first because you don't want to come out so quick that you end up having a 41-second possession if you don't get a first down. But you come out, maybe you run for five yards, you hit a, a nine-yard throw, and then you go. And now you're off to the races. And I think, I think that's going to be a plan, and I think it's going to work uh, a decent amount of the time. Nick? You are up. Nick from Dublin, you're on mute. Go ahead. Hey, guys. I just have a comment about the last two questions we were talking about. Um, I picked Trey Sermon as the most critical component to our offense. Um, I mean, if the O-line and Sermon are just murdering people like Paris Johnson was in his like first half of his of the Clemson game, um, you know, and, and Sermon's open on a, like a check down like we saw more often, I think those safeties are going to have to bite down, cheat down a little bit. Um, and then that means Justin, you know, has – an opportunity to hit people over the middle for, you know, chunk plays. And I think that uh, he's going to have to connect on some bombs. So I really think that this game runs through Sermon, like both literally and figuratively. No, I, 
I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think you pull them up, and then, like you said, uh, the play action. And, Stephen, you've been talking about the play action a lot. I mean, if they can really establish Sermon, and then they do that play action where they love to go to Olave, that's like those are going to be the kill shots for them on Monday night, won't they be? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, that's that's where they're been, that's where they won the Clemson game. As a matter of in the second half, even the play action that they had, the, the play action they had to Chris Olave that fifty-four yard touchdown. That's Trey Sermon being a threat, but that's also Mayan Williams came in and gave you three good snaps. And all of a sudden now you're seriously worried about a run game. And so right over the top. And then they did it later in the game to uh, Jamison Williams. They had the one early to Garrett Wilson, the 40 yard catch. And so, yeah, the, the run game is Ohio State's key to a win there because it sets up everything Ryan Day wants to do in the pass game. Harley, you're up next. You're unmuted. Go ahead. Hey, thanks. Um, I I had my hand up for a while. I wanted to come, comment on the Trey Sermon thing. I think it's more impor- important that he stays on the field to keep Master T off of the field. <laughs> <laughs> I, as rude as that seems, I think that we've seen so many great running backs in the recent history of Ohio State, and I think we all know Master T is not that. And uh, Master T had like a hundred and fifty yard game this year, man. Master T, he's played well at times. I think it's it's flipped. It's gone from we need to keep Trey Sermon off of the field forever and keep Master T going forever to please do not put Master T on the field for Trey Sermon at all. Also, Which, I know my Williams. I know my Williams had a had a great moment in the last game. But if Trey Sermon were to go down and couldn't play, do you really want Mayan Williams to be the only guy touching the ball the rest of the game instead of Master T? I think I'd still take Master T there. Harley, I, I know what you're saying, though. I mean, Trey, last two games, Trey has been different level. So I, I don't think – are you are you thinking, Harley, like if Master Teague is healthy, would they go back to some kind of two-running back system, or you think like Trey's the guy by now? Uh, I, I guess I'm scared that they're going to go back to the two-running back system. So if I'm thinking if Trey Sermon's out there and he's been the running back we've seen the past two games and he's got the hot hand, hopefully he stays on the field. And if they go to the two running backs uh, system, I'd hate to see them be more of like a dud that we've seen in the past. And they'd have to rely on Justin Moore. I, I agree with Master- that fear. Actually, I, I agree with that fear. I have, I have no fear of that. I think if Master Teague is available, I'd put the over under on his carries at like four and a half. They're just, it, Trey Sermon is playing too well right now at this stage with these stakes. I, I don't think for a second that they would fool around with that. They're not going to play the, they're not going to play the halvesies at, at this point. I, I mean, don't know. I, I wouldn't be shot if, if Master Teague is healthy, if Trey Sermon's out there the first series and then they try out Master Teague for a series. I don't even think you can. You know, I would be shocked by that. that. You would not be shocked by that? Why? What would be the I, uh, there's, a part of the, there's a part of me that wouldn't be shocked by that just because they've tried so hard to stick with this two-back system type of thing that it, it, I there's a, a 20% chance part of me that's like, if it happens, I wouldn't be totally caught off guard. I would be... Did- Confused why they did it, but I wouldn't be caught off guard 100% by it. They didn't try. They, they were not committed to a two-back system this year. They had two backs who weren't playing that well. One of them started to play a little bit better. The other one still wasn't playing that well. And when one of them turned into what Trey Sermon has done now, that's what they wanted all along. If Trey Sermon had done that from day one, Master Teague would have not done anything this year. But he didn't do it until very late in the season. I don't think they're going away from Trey Sermon. I think Trey Sermon gets as many carries. Uh, he, it could be another 30-carry game for him. And I don't, it doesn't matter if Master Teague's available or not. 
Yeah, I, I would be shocked if they, if they don't lean on Trey the whole game. I mean, I think Master Teague, I think Trey has obviously a higher ceiling, but Trey also had a lower floor. So there was a mm-hmm. time when Trey wasn't hitting holes, when he wasn't being, wasn't running with aggression. He was doubting himself. He didn't have great vision. And Master Teague would get the ball and hit the hole. And back then, that's not something Trey Sermon was doing. But now that Trey Sermon is doing this, he has a top end that Master Teague doesn't have. So I think it's 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 Trey Sermon's game. Chuckster, Chuckster, you're unmuted. Go ahead. Hey, guys. I just wanted to uh, start off with a million thanks for having the uh, the talk tonight. I'll be busy tomorrow watching pro football. So I'm glad I was able to make it tonight. But uh, no doubt we win on Monday. We win because of Justin Fields. No doubt in my mind. And the fact that the tight ends opened up last week against Clemson, the offense – the entire playbook, I don't care how many pages it is, is completely open. Those tight ends are going to have those backers running in circles. And uh, and I do believe that Trey Sermon is going to run just like his trainer has encouraged him to. And uh, and then at that point, whether it's Wilson, whether it's Alave, it doesn't matter. The only other thing, the only other thing I would like to see happen would be hopefully – uh, McCall has been coached up a little bit on how to field the kickoff and knows what to do moving forward. Other than that, uh, I, I don't I don't see any. We scored 49 points in 46 minutes on Clemson. So if we put 50 on uh, the Tide, I would not be surprised whatsoever. So um, that's all I got to say from South Texas. I, I don't know that there's a lot of argument with that, Chuckster. I mean, I think the argument is like, okay, is 50 enough, right? I mean, that's what I think yeah. in, the, in the area we're in. But I, <laughs> I, I just I'm don't. interested to see what our scores are going to be. We all see an offense coming together. The, the offensive line was always a strength, and we knew it. Justin, at his best, we knew was as good as anybody out there. Olave and Wilson have been as good as we expected. The tight ends have always been capable, and they just haven't thrown to them, and you just didn't know about the run game. But when Trey Sermon runs like this, they do have it all. I mean, this this is a level of an Ohio State offense, pass and run. And we've been getting them. I've gotten we've gotten multiple texts this week about how Urban uh, always talked about balance and loved like the 250-250 pass and run balance. And like their offensive balance right now, I think pass and run for the season is like practically exactly equal. Mm-hmm. That now they really are. They felt obviously the first couple weeks, they were really a passing team that that didn't scare people in the run game but they've got the balance. Now they have, they leaned on Garrett and Chris so much early because he didn't know exactly what else to do. I think we always wondered why didn't they throw the tight ends more, but when they found a matchup, they liked last week, they used it. And I think they'll probably use that again. Cause again, Alabama, I think at times has been vulnerable to the tight end. Brandon, you're unmuted. You're next on Buckeye talk. Yeah. I just want to kind of piggyback off of what everyone's saying about Trey Sermon. Uh, I'm from Oklahoma, so for the past multiple years, I've been forced to watch Trey and learn about him. And these past two games is better than I have ever seen Trey run. But I think Justin Fields is going to have to fight through whatever pain he's still feeling. And his run ability is going to have to take a factor, regardless of injury or not. Yeah, I mean, I think I, it all, I think we are. I don't know that anybody anymore is doubting Trey Sermon. But Nathan, how does it have to be a one-two combo in the run game? And you sort of mentioned that early on, Nathan, that you thought for what Brandon's saying here, you thought that's where the injury could come into play. But like, does he? Do they have to run him? Does Justin's running have to be part of the game plan? 
I don't think they have to run him on designed runs for sure. I think just to me, it's when we talk about Ohio State's passing game, we talk about we talk about Justin Fields running with the run game when a lot of Justin Fields running is from the pass game. Right. Like it's it's decisions that he makes after he's dropping back the pass. So in order for the Ohio State passing game to be as potent as it should be or, or it can be like to reach its ceiling, Justin Fields has to be able to run the ball a little bit. That's a component of the Ohio State passing game. So that's the thing. If you if he can't if he doesn't have as much escapability just to avoid a sack and throw the ball away, just little things like that. I don't even think it's necessarily him breaking off for a, a 25 yard first down slide and get a, a scramble for a first down or whatever. Like, I think it's really just mobility and moving the pocket, all those things like play into it. Cause we've seen before when, when Ohio, when, when he's compromised in some way, Ohio state pulls back in, in what they want him to do or let him do or, or, or expose him to. And I think it's difficult. It's difficult in a game like this to start pulling things off of your arsenal and still expecting to, to beat a team this good. I think he's got to be able to break a defense's back at times. And he did that against Clemson. I think he had a run down the sideline where Jackson Smith and Jigba had a pretty good block on that play too. He's running down the side. He gets the first down, but then he also gets maybe an extra four or five extra yards. And then he leans his shoulder into a defender to fight for a few more yards the way you saw, you see running backs do. It's more that they designed a few runs for him early in the first quarter as well when they were trying to establish things, but it's more just as Nathan is saying, it's those scrambles where, okay, this should be a, a loss of yards or at least, you know, only two yard game, but because he's Justin Fields, it's a first down and a big play. And now the defense has to reset itself. I, that's where it's most important. Red zone. I think called runs in the red zone has always been a, th- a thing with Justin, but I'm thinking back to late in the game against Indiana, when they're trying to put the game away on third down, they run Justin outside and he doesn't quite get it, and they go for it on fourth and one, and they run that little Justin bootleg uh, and, and miss the throw, I think, to Luke Farrell on that, and they end up turning the ball over on downs, and Indiana has one last chance to try to maybe march down and tie the game. And I think now if Ohio State got in a tight spot in the, in the red zone, if they had a third down inside the six-yard line, I think they'd hand it to Trey Sermon. And I, and I don't – I think they would believe in this offensive line and Trey's ability to break tackles, get yards on his own, and I, and I don't think they would have to lean on Justin in the run game that – you know, you always got to give it to your running back, but when it matters, when it's the money down, when it's time, a do-or-die play, who are you running the ball with? And I think for a lot of the season, the answer was Justin Fields, and, and I don't think that's the answer anymore. So I think, Nathan, you're right. The scrambles are what kills people. Steven, you're right. Those big runs break a team's back. But I don't – I think Trey is, you know, as we keep saying, he's running with enough aggression that you don't have to think you have to block it up perfectly for him to get some tough yards because you believe in the line, but if something goes wrong, you also think he'll get some on his own. CJ, you're up next. You're unmuted on Buckeye Talk. Right. What if uh, what if Fields goes down? Who do they put in? Do they go with Gunnar Hoke? Do they go with uh, Stroud or Miller? Just saying uh, hypothetically, because I mean I, I'm thinking because uh, I'm thinking you know <laughs> uh, they're Alabama's going to imply the uh, Bart Scott comment you know on Drew Brees and put some barbecue on those ribs and see if they smoke. What do you think? <laughs> That's a great line, is what it's I think. Terrible. Uh, uh, I uh, it's CJ Stroud. It, yeah. it, it's CJ Stroud. Like he's he's been the guy that they've gone to twice in game when they needed even just one snap from someone else. And I think it's clear that he's the guy now. He would be the second guy. up. Somebody in the text pointed out, um, 
a couple of days ago that it always seems like every time they show Justin Fields on the sideline, yep. CJ Stroud seems to be sitting right next to him. I do think that's purposeful, both because CJ Stroud is not an idiot. He needs to sit by the best quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, but also I'm pretty sure Corey Dennis has probably said something about that, about you need to soak up as much information as him as possible from him as possible. I, we've been looking for the info all year. I think there's been enough info that CJ Stroud's next guy up. And I don't think there's much doubt about that. And uh, hopefully it won't matter on Monday night. All right, we're going to take a quick break. I got more texter questions. I see you, Nate. See you, Josh. See you, Brad. I saw you, iPhone. iPhone lowered his or her hand, but uh, we'll get that everybody um, as you raise your hands and we work through this picks preview Zoom pod for the national championship game on Monday night. We'll get the picks at the end. I have more texture questions next on Buckeye talk. All right, we're back. No chitter chatter in the room. We're going long. We're going way into the night, but man, national title game. I mean, you need a long pod. We do long pods in July talking about nothing. We probably should go seven hours on this one. This is the money question. I'm going to drop it in the middle. And we're all, I'm not saying we're going to dance around it, but we'll try to be responsible about it. I'll probably, since it's a responsible discussion, I'm probably going to make Nathan do it. Assuming some Ohio State defensive linemen will be out because of COVID issues, what is your feeling about the Ohio State defensive line? And these were the choices. We still have lots of good defensive linemen. We'll be fine. That was the most positive choice. Next was... We'll miss some guys. I'm a little worried it will hurt Ohio State. That was the next most positive. Then it went to, we'll miss some guys, and I'm very worried it will miss Ohio State. And then the least optimistic choice was the losses on the defensive line could be what swings the game towards Alabama. Nathan, before we have you and Steven guess, where are we with talking about what may or may not be happening in the defensive line room in terms of COVID? I mean, look, everybody's, I think, heard those same rumors and the, the names that have bounced around there. And, and I have not confirmed them to the point where I don't we probably don't want to speak them specifically. But if people are talking about here in the chat. So I guess, Doug, if you feel like we can, I guess we can. But like I, I we don't have it confirmed. We probably won't have it confirmed until Monday at seven o'clock when they release the status report. Um, there are conflicting rumors out there as to whether people tested or whether there was a false positive and et cetera. So I expect Ohio State to be without at least one defensive line starter that they had for the Sugar Bowl, possibly more. We don't know for sure whether Zach Harrison, who wasn't available for the Sugar Bowl, will be back. We don't know for sure whether Tyler Friday, who wasn't available for the Sugar Bowl, will be back. Um, and we don't know how deep it goes beyond that. Okay, that's a good explanation. I think most of the really informed people, I mean, we're not going to talk about it, but you can find it on Twitter. So um, is that, is that, I think I learned that. I think that was my third year journalism class was if you're unsure about something that you don't want to report, just tell people to Google, to search it on Twitter and they'll figure it out. That's some high level stuff by me. So Nathan, what do you think was the vote here? Again, the choices were, they still have lots of good defensive linemen. They'll be fine. Miss guys, you're a little worried. Miss guys, you're very worried. Or you think it could be the reason that Alabama wins. What do you think won and what would you vote? I think missed guys, very worried is what they voted for. And I think it's probably, um, worry is not the same for me. But yeah, I think that's probably what I would vote for too. That it could be a significant difference in the game. It might 
not be so big that Ohio State can't just outscore Alabama still, but it could make it a big impact if it's enough people. Steven, what do you think won and where are you? Uh, well, Miss Guy's very worried, I think, one, and I'm Miss Guy's a little worried just because of the guys rumored, none of them are named Chase Young. You know, none of them are that much of a factor where if you lose that guy, then you're going, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it can be more of a next man up mentality with the, with this group of defensive linemen than it was in years past. All right. So a little worried actually won, but it was pretty close. Hmm. So the second most positive one, they'll miss guys. And I'm a little worried it will hurt Ohio state, but the most pessimistic was next. The losses on the defensive line could be what swings the game towards Alabama got 28% and miss guys. Very worried got 27%. So the two most pessimistic choices got 55% and the two more optimistic choices got 45, but only 7% said we'll be fine. Only 7% said we got enough good guys. We'll be fine. Yes, they don't have Chase Young, but I think I would I would kind of disagree with what you said, Stephen. I think there's enough guys who have established themselves as pretty darn good that there are some guys here that if you don't have them, I think it could make a big difference. And frankly, I think I would vote on this topic. The losses on the defensive line could be what swings the game. As much as I think Ohio State's offense is the number one thing, and it's about keeping up with them, keeping up with them, to me, the defensive plan – is not play much man, half Mac Jones, try to throw in the zone, in some windows. Hopefully you're not having guys race for 70 yards on little slants. But I think if you're going to play that kind of zone, the best way that works is if you get pressure. And they did get pressure against a lesser offensive line. Yes, they missed Zach Harrison, but and they missed Tyler Friday, but they had their other guys. And they got the pressure they needed to get against Trevor Lawrence. This is a better offensive line. They might be missing a greater number of important guys than they missed against Clemson. And I think, Nathan, that it could be – this would be a factor to me. Fact: What I talked about early on, if Ohio State is pretty close to Ohio State, I think it's a toss-up. This is what I'm talking about. And if they are really missing a couple key guys here, I think it gets – somewhat significantly more difficult for Ohio State to win. Do you agree with that idea? No, I do. And uh, Ryan in Denver says, uh, Garrett and Togi are game changers. The others are replaceable. And I, I understand what he's trying to say there. I think the problem is that if those others, if it's multiple others, and you really start getting farther down, then I think you do start to see a difference in the quality of, of this defensive front. I don't see this as a David versus Goliath game. I think these are both Goliaths. It's like Goliath A versus Goliath B. These are both, especially from an offensive standpoint, these are two major talents. But if one Goliath is fully healthy and the other Goliath has like a broken knuckle and a uh, uh, something wrong with his knee and uh, something, you know, one of his eyes is swollen shut, then it becomes tougher for him to win that fight. I think that's the analysis that's going into this game. Doug DeLillo just made an uh, interesting comment in the chat. He said the inside guys are more important because their center is out and the backup kind of looked awful against Notre Dame. And it makes me want to go rewatch that Notre Dame game and just watch the center snaps because that's to the point we've been talking about Alabama's line, offensive line is clearly better than what Clemson's was. But if they're to what Nathan just said, if they've got a little bit of a chink in the armor and it's where Ohio State has a strength on defense, I then, yeah, I do think it, 
maybe I change my, my vote to a little bit uh, very worried. And then if that's the case, that that center Landon Dickerson, who's out, won the Remington and, yeah. is, and is out. Yep. So um, so that Goliath also has like a what, like a sprained wrist, like a like a partially torn labrum. I don't know what a center would be, but they're also getting back Jalen Waddle. It's like one of those things. It's like, oh, Ohio State might not have his defensive line. And also Jalen Waddle's back. So um, I think it's pretty stinking important. And you just hope Ohio State can be as close to full strength there as possible. Nate, you're up next. I'm unmuting you. Join us here on Buckeye Talk. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for, uh, for having up. Um, honestly, where I am, I voted for the uh, <laughs> pretty serious if D-line's not there. Because secondary's got question marks going up against a heck of a receiving core. Um, and the strength of this defense is that interior. Haven't been getting too much pressure off the edge, um, except for that Clemson game. So if Togia or any of those guys in the interior can't be good to go, um, when that was a kind of our one chance on defense to really, I think, disrupt that Bama offense, you've got it. I am personally would be very worried if that doesn't work out. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And Nate, when you when you watch Bama, you can just watch, and it's sort of. I mean, Nathan was talking about this with Mac Jones. If when he sits, when he has some time to sit there, whether it's off play action or just some longer developing routes, some deep shots, it is not a pleasant feeling for a defense when he has time to sit there and see what's up because there are so many weapons on the field for them. That if you just if you give him too much time, I think he's going to find somebody like almost every play. You know, we haven't even we didn't mention John Mechie. I mean, for anybody who went back or who watched it live, watched the Texas A&M game. That's a game where they have Jalen Waddle and they have Devontae Smith mm-hmm. and they hit John Mechie with like two 60 yard passes in like the first two drives. He's their third best receiver. Devontae Smith won the Heisman. They had 200 yard receivers against Texas A&M and he wasn't one of them. So I really think like if they could get the same kind of pretty consistent pressure they got against Clemson, I think that's like a winning formula. But if either because of Alabama's offensive line or missing guys on their defensive line, they can't, Mac Jones, I think, will make them pay for that. Josh, I'm unmuting you. You're next on Buckeye Talk. Thanks so much, Doug. Big fan. Um, Curious about your take on the special teams. Um, I'm thinking just based on watching the Clemson game, anytime they get within the 35, if it's fourth down, it looks like they're going to go for it. Um, what's your take on confidence with kicking? I'm not so sure it's, it's one of those things in this situation where it might be a good thing. Cause it's like, I think Ryan day wants to go for it all the time anyway. And if he, if Blake Hall still dealing with issues and you don't know where you are in the kicking game that leans you that way, and then you throw in the fact that it's a shootout and you're not going to win games with field goals, which is what Kevin Wilson was saying before the sugar bowl. Steven, I think there's a chance that like, I don't, I don't know that you could bet on something like this. I almost will be surprised if Ohio state tries a field goal. If they're within the 40, they're going for it. That's where I'm at with it. And if they're, I mean, yeah, they'll, if they're too far away, they'll just punt. Like, I just, I don't even know. I can't almost like wrap. Like, I guess it would be like fourth and 19 from the 20, right? That you're at the two yard yeah, line and it. you get a 15 yard personal foul or something like that. But like anything normal, anything within like fourth and 10 or less, I just, I just, I think it's an interesting question about the special teams. Well, I just were to think we're at the point where it may not matter. I think if Hall was even fully healthy, that would be the. I would still be under that stance. 
I, I do think though that some of uh, Ryan in Denver brought up a good point. Somebody else asked um, about the, it might have been uh, John before he got called on was asking in the chat about special teams. And I think the thing to remember though is you're right about the fourth and nineteen scenario. But what about when it's just it's it's third and eight, but there's from the fifteen, but there's two seconds left in the half. Like you kick the field goal there. Uh, but at the end of the first half or late in the game, if it's a tie game or Ohio State's behind by two, but a field goal wins it and you're farther enough out. Like those are still scenarios in a game this close in a shootout where you may just be forced to have to kick a field goal. The thing to remember about Hobbiel, though, he kicked extra points into the fourth quarter. I know he wasn't out there for kickoffs at the end of the game, but he was still kicking extra points. So his ability to kick at least regular field goals may not be compromised for this game. So if they have a 31-yard field goal to win the game, Blake Hallbill will be out there and and should be close enough to full strength to be able to handle it. Yeah, I mean, I think, and wouldn't you go for it with that? I mean, you wouldn't if it's, if you're at the, I mean, I, I think that's tough. If it's a two-point game, like, I don't think you go for the touchdown there. I think you go for the three. Yeah, yeah. I think, but I think in the normal course of the game, I just, I, I will be very surprised if Ryan doesn't just almost, almost go for almost everything. And by the way, I will say, are, are people not amazed sometimes when you're watching college football and there are very, very good top 25 football teams who feel like they have no kicker? And it's like, how can you not be able to kick a 38-yard field goal? Why does this look so difficult? Ohio State actually is in. Blake Hobbiel has been battling injuries all year. I know they have the walk-on. They have Jake Seibert coming in. And, and sometimes Ryan Day is not going to have as much faith in those guys. They actually have like much more depth at kicker than they have more. Their second and third kickers are better than some top 25 number one kickers. So I understand that, you know, it's not where they want it to be, but it's also not nearly as disastrous as, as some programs you'll come across. Nuts for the Bucks is up next. You're unmuted. Go ahead on Buckeye Talk. I wanted to ask you guys about the uh, linebacker situation. I know. I thought Baron Browning kind of got bullied in the Sugar Bowl, especially on that opening drive where Trevor Lawrence kind of ran right around him. Um, is there any kind of change in the potential starter for the game on Monday? I think it's a good question. Somebody asked that uh, earlier in the chat, and we were, we were going to get around to it. Um, I think it was Evan Jones asked, is Browning or Hillier going to get the start? And I think that's a, an interesting question. I, I I guess you could, I don't know if I would say he got bullied, but he, he was clearly exposed a little bit on that opening drive. And that's why they went to Hilliard after that. Plus Justin Hilliard is playing the best football of his career right now and is, is a good football player. So I think that's why he's getting some of the run he's getting. Um, I, I guess the way I would look at it is I, I think Chris Olave talked this week about how it was Wednesday of last week before he felt like he was back from the COVID problems before he really had a good practice. And then that was a Friday game, remember? So two days before they played, he felt like he was back. And that's going to be different for everybody. So Baron Browning now will have had another 10 days to have maybe gotten his legs under him a little bit, to have figured some things out. I would expect him to play better than he did in the Sugar Bowl coming back, having more time to come back. But I also think that Justin Hilliard is proving himself. It's 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 kind of like the Trey Sermon thing almost, except uh, there's not as big a separation there, but Justin Hilliard is proving himself as a guy who helps Ohio State football wins games by the way he plays linebacker. There's no other way to say it right now. According to 11 Warriors, Baron Browning had 38 snaps and Justin Hilliard played 34 snaps last Friday. I think we'll see something similar to that. 
And we saw last year, it's a little bit like last year when Baron Browning was playing in the middle and he and Tuff Borland would almost share that position and have almost equal number of snaps in games. And they could move guys in and out. And some of it was situational. Some of it was drive to drive. I do think this is a game where, where Justin Hilliard um, could be a good game for Justin Hilliard. Like I like Justin Hilliard dealing with Najee Harris, right? I like Justin Hilliard. If they are trying to do some stuff to the tight end or whatever, I, I mean, I think I think Justin Hilliard will matter in this game. Um, but I also think what we talked about before, I, I also wonder at times, like, will they only have – how often may they only have two linebackers on the field? But then when you only have two linebackers on the field, if you are playing a nickel, that's the thing. Most of the time when they go nickel, tough Borland comes off because nickel is more like you're assuming it's a passing down. And so you play your two coverage linebackers and that's never been tough Borland's responsibility here. If they do wind up in any kind of like any kind of nickel look that is more like a first down, second down nickel look, I think tough Borland is in the game because then you need to have your two linebackers be able to stop the run because they're the only two linebackers in the game. So I think if they do go nickel, it would be with Warner and Borland. So again, I just, they're going to have some moving parts. They're going to have, you know, they're not gonna have they're gonna have more than eleven defensive guys that play meaningful snaps here, obviously. They have 12, 13, 14, 15 different guys, because I do think the looks are gonna change around. See, but also go ahead. in a world where we're already talking about rumors with the defensive line depth, Baron Browning, the rusher, maybe. I don't know. That might be an option. I mean, maybe. I just I I I, I want to make sure we pump the brakes on this idea that Baron Browning He's not snaps yeah. on the edge, and all of a sudden he's Derek Thomas. Like, yeah, no, no, no. I'm not saying all that. I'm just saying, like, yeah, you kind of were over the summer. I mean, oh, yeah, that was it. First of all, that was a different time. Okay. We're not talking about Market Down Mondays anymore. We've already done that. <laughs> Thank you. All no. I'm saying is you might see a wrinkle every so often. I mean, it's one of those things. Again, we saw, we saw Haskell Garrett at end when they mm-hmm. had some end issues and they still had to tackle outside because they had a little more little depth at tackle. If they wind up with a little more depth at linebacker and they have, multiple ends out situational pass rush. I mean, Baron Browning can do it. He can pass rush on third down. So would not be, would not be a shock to see that situationally. I think uh, CJ you're up next on Buckeye talk. Oh yeah. Uh, thanks guys. Uh, do you think with the lack of depth on the defensive line, they can go to a, a three, four defense and put Hilliard Browning, Warner and Borland all, uh, or uh, what's his name? Borland, right on the field at the same time and lessen the rotation on the defensive line because that wouldn't really I – mean, you could rotate two guys, five guys in the D-line, whoever's left. I don't even know who's left. That's just saying if the COVID thing is real, if Togiai isn't going to play. I think that'd be good. Uh, I do think they – so I think the more the thing you'd be more talking about with that is that Baron Browning is just playing Russian then. Yeah. That, that they have been – one of the things that – that Ryan Day, like one of the very first things Ryan Day committed to when he took over was like, well, we're staying in a 4-3. Larry Johnson runs a 4-3. I want to play a 4-3. That's not changing. So they've they've never gone away from that. But the idea of, I think it is more of, does, does Baron Browning just come down and then do what a Tyreek Smith or a Jonathan Cooper or a Zach Harrison would do? Um, and that's a different thing. And now Baron Browning, again, he's a rush end. I don't know that he's going to be in there on first down at defensive end in a pass or a run situation and doing all the responsibilities there. So um, it's tough, but they're not going to get away from it schematically. So they won't go to a three, four, but I do think Browning's flexibility can help them out a little bit in certain situations there, but also they just have enough guys. I mean, like Steven and Nathan, you've been talking about, I mean, that's where like, um, Cormonte Hamilton comes in or Noah yeah. Potter comes in, right? It's just, you get down into well, your depth a little more. 
Yeah, but just even just like Antoine Jackson, someone like who's been like just sitting behind the scenes all season. Um, but again, we're, we're throwing out names. I know that we, there's name, rumors out there is like as far as which starters could be out, there could be other depth guys out. Like we don't know. So that's the tricky thing right now is like trying to assess exactly what that front seven is going to look like on Monday night. Gotta love COVID. Just gotta love it. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. Like, it's not. It's not like the worst thing about COVID is not knowing the defensive line depth of a college football yeah. team. But it is hard to analyze. I mean, we're trying to. It's like, well, if they're eighty-five percent as good at normal on the defensive line, will they win? Well, what if it's only sixty percent? What if it's forty percent? So we're just we're throwing out the question mark, and I think everybody listening to this knows there's a question mark there. Brad, you're up next. You're unmuted on Buckeye Talk. I think Baron Browning come up, coming off the edge kind of reminds me of what Darren Lee was like in 2014, where he could play coverage. I remember in that Sugar Bowl, he came off the edge and sacked Blake Sims. He was getting get in the backfield. How much does that does that have any does that have any similarities to you, Doug? I think there's some similarity. I remember my first year on the beat in 2005 when. They had Anthony Schlegel, A.J. Hawk, and Bobby Carpenter at linebacker, and they'd bring Bobby Carpenter down and play him at rush end on third down sometimes. I I do think when you have those dynamic linebackers, you can utilize them in interesting ways on third down. That's the thing. It's it's just the difference of – I mean, if you're going to blitz a guy, you're going to blitz a guy. You can blitz a guy whenever. And they have guys who can blitz on this team. Pete Warner can blitz. Baron Browning can blitz. Josh Proctor can blitz. So if you're going to blitz, that's one thing. You just, if you're trying to rotate guys on the defensive line, it's hard to move. You can't really move a linebacker down and have them do it on every down basis. But situationally, and that's the thing too, they got some good four-man pressure on on Trevor Lawrence. If you can't get four-man pressure because you don't have your best guys, then you might have to blitz a little more. You might have to take a few more risks. You might have to vary some things. You know, four-man pressure makes the world go round. That's the best. That's the thing that that helps the defense the most. But if they can't get it, then, yeah, Baron Browning, whether he's a rush end or blitzing from linebacker, can help you out. You just can't do it. You can't do it as a regular part of the defense, I think. All right, we're transitioning a little bit because there's a, there's a context thing that I wanted to get into. We'll get a little faster here because I know we've gone for a good amount so far. But I asked a lot of questions for the Texers about how good this Alabama team is, how good this Ohio State team is in the context of the playoff era. And I have my thoughts on this, and I know there's recency bias, and I know this survey pops up in your phone and you're eating dinner or you're playing with your kids or you're doing work or you're watching TV or you're in the john or I don't know what, and you're not looking stuff up. You're not pulling out the encyclopedia. So you're just thinking. And then when you do that, it can lead you to recency bias. It it works that way for all of us. But I was very curious where the Texters would come down on this. Rank in order the strength of the opponents Ohio State has faced in the playoff era. So the choices were all the teams they've played in the playoff era. 2014 (laughs) Alabama, 2014 Oregon. Those two games. 2016 Clemson. 2019 Clemson. 2020 Clemson. 2020 Alabama rank them in order Nathan is probably a little harder for you Stephen I know you were around Stephen who do you think won in the ranking which opponent is Ohio State's toughest opponent of the playoff era well I know who lost I know who came in last oh Morgan definitely came in last I think either 2019 Clemson or 2020 Alabama and I'll lean Alabama because they might be a little bit more complete. 
and I would I really would like to get some hands raised or some chat talk on this because I'm really curious how people would explain their thinking on this because I think it's really interesting. Alabama runaway. This yeah. is the toughest opponent of the playoff era. 1.59 ranking. Second place was 2016 Clemson, Deshaun Watson Clemson, 2.58. And someone that was pointed be out my guess, actually. Somebody pointed out to me this week that I've been making too big of a deal and acting like Deshaun Watson threw for 500 yards on them, and he only threw for like 259 and had a pick. Um, but, I mean, start thinking about Deshaun Watson sometimes, and you start losing yourself awesome. a bit. So he's quite a dude. And I just – still in my head in that matchup, Mike Williams is nine feet tall and Denzel Ward is two feet tall. And I know that's not true either, and Denzel Ward's a better overall player than Mike Williams is. But there were just certain things about that matchup that just felt like nothing was going Ohio State's way. 2016 Clemson is second at 2.58. 2019 Clemson is third at 3.25, last year's game. 2014 Alabama next at 3.30. Then 2020 Clemson at 4.56. Then 2014 Oregon at 5.72. So, Stephen, you were right. Oregon way down. Oregon, who was favored over Ohio State in the national championship game? Way down. 2020 Alabama, the runaway winner. And I want to couple it with this question. Rank in order the strength of the Ohio State teams that have made the playoff. So four mm-hmm. Ohio State teams in the playoffs, 14, 16, 19, 20. Nathan, you'll get a shot to answer this one. You weren't around covering it, but you've heard about it. You know about it. Which team do you think won this ranking best Ohio State playoff team? You know, I, I, I think 14 might have won the poll simply because it actually then won the championship. And 19 was maybe the best team, maybe the best collection of talent. Steven, what do you think? I agree with that. I think the order it was 19, 14, 2016. It was actually 14, 19, 2016, okay. but it was super okay. close. 2014, 1.65 in the weighted rank. 2019, 1.68. So basically tied. Basically tied. 2020, this year's team, 2.74, clearly third. And 2016, Ohio State, which shouldn't have made the playoff, got practically every fourth place vote. So here's where I want to have this discussion in context. We are saying this is the third best of the four Ohio State teams of the playoff era. And we are saying that they are playing the best team they have faced in the playoff era. And I know there's recency bias. I believe, I think the Ohio State team vote is very educated, very smart by our texters who know this program inside and out. And I would agree with that. I think I'd go 2014 first. I think 2019 is close. I do think there's a gap down to 2020. Nathan, how should we interpret that? Because here we are. We're talking about this game as being a close game that Ohio State can win. Yet it's the third best Ohio State team of the playoff era against the best opponent they have faced in the playoff era. How are we supposed to wrap our head around how that fits into this analysis? I think that is a really interesting way to kind of look at this analysis. I've been trying to come up at it from different angles today to decide how I'm going to pick a winner in this game. And that's sort of one of the things that I had on my brain. The thing though, that throws it off is which of those teams had the best quarterback. And isn't it like 2019 slash 2020 has the best quarterback 2020. You would actually say has the best quarterback. It's the best version of Justin Fields. And then there's like, maybe not a number two. And then it's like a gap all the way down to whoever's third, like a tie for third or something like he's that much better. And I think maybe that 
whether this may be the third best collection of talent overall, but maybe Justin Fields is that good that he elevates it more than that. What do you think, Steven? I think I agree with that. I think this is third from a complete team standpoint, but I'm, I think it's first in that quarterback, which is the most important element in all of this. And I mean, you know, that what this offense is and what it can do comparison to what maybe some of those off- other offenses can do, one, because of the personnel, but also because who's calling the plays. I really wish Chase Young was playing in this game. <laughs> yeah. Like, I really <laughs> – this – I think this is a close enough version to if what would it, what it, we would have been thinking about if Ohio State – how do I – Nathan, if Ohio State would have beaten Clemson last year and been playing LSU in the national championship game, I think much of the talk this week would have been similar in that you said, how do you stop this unbelievable offense that has playmakers all over the field and a great quarterback? I do think that – so I think that, say, if this Ohio, if this Alabama offense is an eight and a half, I think that and that LSU offense was a 10. But then I think if this Ohio State defense is like – a six and a half. I think that Ohio state defense was like a nine. It's like the bottom line is in the end, I wish the Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett, Jordan Fuller, Malik Harrison, Davon Hamilton, Chase Young defense had reached the point of playing an unbelievably high flying offense in the national championship game. Cause that would have been amazing to talk about, think about, and then watch. And we just don't quite have that. But to your point, Nathan, then the whole answer is none of it matters because of Justin Fields, which is where I think we started our analysis in the offseason, which is Justin Fields is the answer to everything. And like here we are in the last days before the national title game, and that's where we've landed. Justin Fields remains the answer to everything. The, it, yeah, and I'm and not to count on my own point, though, then I guess someone would come back and say, yeah, OK, but then 2019 was better overall. And it wasn't like this Justin Fields, this Justin Fields is better, but is he like a power of 10 better? He was still pretty great last year. He was a Heisman Trophy finalist, 41 to three uh, touchdown interception ratio. Like he was amazing last year. So I don't know. I, I do think, though, I have thought about it a lot this week that like what we were deprived of, we whoever was deprived of not being able to cover or, or analyze that Ohio state defense playing that LSU offense. And this is like a, a little bit of a lesser version of that on both sides. I think I would have picked Ohio state to be LSU last year, just because of the names on that defense. Um, I think as much as yes, Justin Fields is the answer to everything, but also his weapons are better this year than last year. And that's, that's where I think he's better is one. Yeah. He's just about a thrower, but also, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave are better than KJ Hill and the combination of Benjamin Victor and Austin Mack. And Chris Olave, though. I mean, Chris and Olave. Chris Olave like, like, yeah. and, so, and, Chris, also, and Chris Olave, but just a year older Chris Olave who is no longer rotating with anybody. I will say I would not have picked Ohio State to beat LSU last year. They were bonkers. I do think that as good as this Alabama offense is, I think that LSU thing was like next level and Burrow. I just don't know how everybody stops Burrow. Rob! You're unmuted. You're up next on Buckeye Talk. Yeah, I mean, I, and my thoughts are is, you know, Alabama's leaning heavy on offense this year. And their offense, they've got a lot of studs, but I don't think their studs are really any better than the studs they've had in the past. I think it's more scheme-based. So, so I guess I would say – I guess I, I hear what Rob is saying, but I guess I kind of look at it the other way almost in that that's why I think that Alabama is – 
such a strong opponent. I mean, or such a tough opponent because it's not, this isn't bare knuckle boxing. This is like jujitsu or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it's, they will use your momentum against you. They will use, they will fold things around. They will get you off balance and hit you the other way. I mean, you were talking earlier about the crossing routes. I, I read Bill's right up too. And he has a really great design of the one where they have Devonte Smith in the slot and the, they bring the two crossing routes on the other side and Smith just sort of slowly makes his way. We've seen Garrett Wilson do it too, but he slowly kind of gets just behind the linebackers and then turns it up and you're done. Like you're, it's over. Like you've already been completely taken out of the play. They just do stuff like that really, really, really well. It is, they have elite talent, but it's not like they just, the, the coaches just like go watch TV while the team practices or whatever. Like they, this is a really, really, really well schemed up offense. And I think Steve Sarkeesian is, has the reputation he has for a reason. Well, I think, but I think what, what the texter is saying is that they, it is a really schemed up offense, but maybe we're overly freaked out about the individual talent because all right, Alabama always has good talent. It's the scheme that really makes them go. And Ohio state has talent too, and they can handle it. Um, I guess, I guess just the way I'm saying is I, I think, I think the, the, the talent is legit and it's what they do with it. That makes it as unstoppable as it's been so far. Steven, where are you on this? I think I agree with Rob because one, especially the Devonte Smith point of, I mean, that guy is probably the fourth best receiver of those four first rounders they've had over the last two years. And so I, I do think that we kind of like how we were with Clemson at one point last week, where we got a little bit carried away with is Clemson just going to blow away, blow, blow, blow Ohio state off the field. I don't know if we did that specifically, but that just seemed like that's where the vibe was by like Wednesday of last week where Clemson was just going to blow Ohio state off the field. I think we're headed in that direction with Alabama right now where, yes, it, Sarkeesian has a great offensive scheme, but, I mean, Kerry Combs has had some moments this year where he's shown a great defensive scheme. So a couple things from me. I think the two biggest things that separates this Alabama offense, as I'm agreeing with Rob, is the way Steve Sarkeesian calls it. And as we talked about when we had Michael Casagrande on from AL.com, I don't think he's going to like forget to use half his offense the way Lane Kiffin forgot to do that in 2014. So – I think the scheme matters. I do think the depth of talent is different and that yes, they had Amari Cooper and yes, they've had Julio Jones and yes, they've had Calvin Ridley, but I don't know that they've had Devonte Smith, Jalen Waddell and John Mechie, three guys like that to put on the field like that. And that's why I think Waddle back in the mix is just such a big part of this to me because I, I don't think Ohio state has to go ro- roll out there and be like, well, we can't, Cover Devontae Smith, it's over. But they have so many guys. It's the depth and it's Sark, that combo. But I will say, when I watched the Florida game, the end of the Florida-Alabama game, I think Alabama's up one score there. It's like second and seven at like the 11-yard line. They have Devontae Smith split wide. I think they might have 12 personnel in. They have Harris in the backfield. Florida has 10 guys in the box. No safety back at the goal line. They have a corner out by himself on Devontae Smith. No help. And he just runs. He makes like one little outside move and beats the guy inside. And it's over. Touchdown, 14-point lead. And I was like, what was that? Ohio, it was second and seven. What I have, it just was, I do think it's possible that some of these teams that Alabama has rolled up numbers on have like had no scheme, have had like no plan and have had their 
crams up their cram holes and that carry Combs is going to bring something more than Alabama has seen at times. So I, I do think that's possible, but I, I don't think we're overestimating Alabama's depth of talent. That's the thing. They always have guys. I don't think they've ever had. And I know what you're saying, Steven. And they had the four receivers last year. They had rugs and Judy and Smith and Waddle all at the same time. Mm-hmm. I do think like Ruggs is like a speed guy, right? Like Jerry Judy is yeah. really good. I also don't want to like come so far back around on the circle that it's like Devonte Smith is awesome. Oh, we're talking about him too much. Oh, now maybe he's actually that like he's, yeah. I don't think he's as naturally skilled. I mean, as you said in the Heisman show, he's not the fastest. He's not the biggest. He's not the strongest. He's just unbelievable. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think Henry Ruggs is like faster, but I think Devonte Smith is a better receiver. So that the depth of it is, is really what I, what is in my head. At the moment, uh, CJ, you should be unmuted. There you go. Yeah, I, I am. Uh, one thing that nobody's talking about is our tight ends, Ruckert and Farrell. How are those guys going to be implemented into this offense? Nobody's really talking about those guys, and they're kind of overlooked. They were responsible for 21 points in the Sugar Bowl. Ruckert had a couple of big touchdown catches in that game. He's got nice hands, and Farrell caught a really nice touchdown pass in the end zone, two from field. I think our tight ends are better than Alabama's. And I think our overall wide receiver strength is better than Alabama's. Alabama, oh, has, oh. Alabama has Waddle. They have Waddle and Smith. And then that's kind of where it ends. No. We have, we have no. Jackson Smith and the Jigba. No. Fleming, Wilson. We have no, Alade. We have, oh, come on. We have a lot no. of depth there. Jamison Williams. I mean, Jamison Williams has eight catches. Jamison <laughs> Williams has eight catches this year. John Mechie had 161 <laughs> yards against Texas A&M. He had 90 mm-hmm. yards in the first four minutes of the game. Yeah. I will let you say almost anything on this podcast. We can't, we can't go there. Jamison they're Williams, talented, but there's a reason why they're not being used as much as, you know, Alabama's third and fourth receivers are being used. Now, I will say this. I will say this. Like, you take Waddle out of that equation and, and mm-hmm. you know, but I think he's not out of the equation. That's the thing that Waddle is looming so large for me, but let's go back to the tight end point. And Steven, you, you answer this first because you sort of brought up the tight ends before the sugar bowl. Yeah. It's not like Ruckert and Farrell just learned how to do this stuff. They've been able to do this all year. They just haven't done it. It's more about matchups. It's more about what's going to work. Could that be a way that Ryan day leans again against this specific defense in this game? I'm interested in what happens in the red zone with that situation. I don't think we're going to see the type of play where, like, where Rutgers is, he was a little hesitant. Where, what do you go? He was, you know, what was that? I'm, Steven is dancing in his apartment. I don't I don't know know this, is, this is what happens. That, where he, he slow played the route before he popped out and he was wide open for a, th- for a touchdown catch. I don't know if we're going to see that. We're not going to see that type of wrinkle this, in this game because I don't know if Alabama's defense gives stuff up like that the way that Clemson's defense gave up tight end touches. So I don't, I don't know if this is a three-touchdown game for the tight ends, but I do think we see some play action stuff in the red zone, especially if Trey Sermon gets going and maybe Jeremy Rucker or Luke Farrell scores there. That was very weird that I was doing that. That was. I mean, you've got moves, but it's just hard to see on a podcast. Well, Nathan, what's the point are, of doing a live podcast if we don't give them something visual? We got to give them a little something. That's true. They get to see how animated I get sometimes when I'm making right. points. I'll do the next one with my shirt off, if that's what no, you're no, saying. No, 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 no. I said, no. I said a little fair? something, not no, a little. No, they did not pay $4 for that, no. I have been. I haven't been able to run as much lately. It's cold outside, so 
it might not, but it's a little something extra. Nathan, you think like big tight end game or is it like, I don't even know. Again, we joke about it all the time. I'm not even sure like it's worth predicting it or not predicting it. It could happen, except it happens like one out of every 10 games. So I don't know. It just happens. It could happen again. I think they could have three touchdowns again. I think they could have zero catches. Like that's, (laughs) that's Ohio state football with the tight ends. Like that just is. And if you're not used to it by now, that that's just what it is. I mean, I asked, I asked Pete Golding about it directly. Like, how do you, as a defensive coordinator, what, how do you anticipate that? And doesn't that give you some problems? And he's like, well, you just got to account for everybody. But he also saw within that, like how it happened, right? That Clemson with, when you reintroduced Chris Olave into the picture, that that gave Clemson's defense enough problems to deal with that it opened up things. It opened up some matchups underneath with the bigger bodies, the tight ends, and they took advantage of it. So maybe that's something else that again, with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, both on the field at the same time, and you're much maligned Jamison Williams, occasionally stretching the field, but he's often not on the field necessarily with both tight ends. It's, it's really still when you get both of those tight ends working in concert, that's when it gets really interesting. And those guys working underneath in concert, when you're, trying to deal with Wilson and Olave over the top. That's where I think something is maybe open for Ohio state. All right. We'll take a quick break and uh, we'll be right back. I have, I have two more texture questions and then our picks next on Buckeye talk. All right. Back on Buckeye talk. One more comparison I want to make before we get down to the picks. How do you feel about this game compared to the 2014 Alabama game? So it's crazy. I mean, back then it was like, you know, the whole world thought Ohio State was going to lose. I'm sure there were some Ohio State fans who thought Ohio State could win, but that was like sort of a different era. I think a lot of that in retrospect was us not understanding the talent level at Ohio State, not understanding some of the Alabama flaws. You know, it, at the very least, it was an equally competitive game. Ohio State did everything right. It was a tough thing. They, that you know, they had trick plays. Ezekiel Elliott went nuts. Like, Cardell Jones trucked people. They did everything right, and Alabama still fought to the very end. But Ohio State, like, absolutely deserved to be on the field. So it's, it's again, it's hard. I'm, tr- I'm very curious. Like, people have to get back in their own heads. But I said, how do you feel about this game compared to 2014? And the choices were, I'm just as nervous as I was then. I'm just as confident as I was then, which is, like, that's double confidence then and now. I'm more confident now, which is, like, back then it was like, well, man, I don't know if we can win, and now you're feeling better. Or I was more confident then. They're like back in 14 and now you're like really worried. So Steven, if you had to guess, what do you think won? Just as nervous, just as confident, more confident now, more confident then. Maybe just as confident um, because the vibe kind of feels the same around that game. Yeah. What do you think, Nathan? What do you think won? You know, I was going to say just as nervous, although not having been here then, I don't have a great grasp on how nervous people were before that game, but just because of, Again, the things we've talked about that are kind of the specter that's hanging out there of who may or may not play, I think, gives people nervousness. I would have guessed actually more confident now because I just think, again, it wasn't we didn't have a full understanding of exactly how Ohio State fit into the national scene then. And and we again, by the you know, that middle of that 2014 season was when Ezekiel Elliott came on. It's like as they were doing it, we were realizing how talented they were. So I would have thought. Even though this Alabama team is really good, I just would have thought maybe like you have a better sense of like, well, yeah, I really think Ohio State can compete. And back then I was like unnecessarily freaked out. But just as nervous was the runaway winner. So nervous then, nervous now, which is just yeah, – that doesn't mean you can't win, but it's respecting your opponent. Bama's good. 60% just as nervous. 
more confident now, which is what I thought, 24, more confident then 10% and just as confident, like feeling good both times, only 6%. So I just think it's a good way to explain sort of like where people's heads are and where their heads are is, man, I love my Buckeyes. I believe in my Buckeyes, but I'm not taking anything for granted. I think I always say it's good to be nervous. So Bam is really good. They're excellent on offense. They're okay on defense. Ohio State's excellent on offense and playing kind of better on defense if they're fully there. So I like being nervous though. All right, let's get to our picks. What will be, it's eight, Nathan, right? I double checked it like an hour before we started and it was eight. It had moved from seven and a half to eight on Vegas insider consensus. That's, so that's the last I've seen too. I can check it right now if you want. It's to eight. Get I still have a it second. Up. Okay. Eight. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're at eight. The texters were asked, does Ohio State win by one to eight? Does Ohio State win by nine or more? Does Alabama win by one to eight? Does Alabama win by nine or more? Ohio State wins by one to eight, got 57%. Alabama wins by one to eight, got 20%. Alabama wins by nine or more, got 12%. Ohio State wins by nine or more, got 11%. So 88% of the people are taking Ohio State and the points. And overall on the picks, we got 68% picking the Buckeyes, 32% picking Alabama. What are we picking? Nathan, we'll start with you. What is your pick for the national championship game? I would definitely take Ohio state in the points again. And I've been going back and forth. That's I've started from that position. I think that eight's too much, but I've been going back and forth on what I was going to pick. And I think it comes down to what I said earlier um, that there may just be enough little divots here and there that make the difference in a game like this. So I'm taking Alabama 47-44. But I think it's going to be an amazing game. Um, and I, I think, like I said before, it's two Goliaths. And if, if one Goliath, through no fault of its own, maybe doesn't have full force, I don't think there's a lot of shame in that. Um, but I think Alabama may just have that little bit more to, to hold off Ohio State just enough. Reasonable pick. I think landing in the 40s is, is where a lot of people are going to land as well. I think landing like the over and Ohio state with the points probably is where a lot of people are going to land on trying to bet this thing. Um, I have not looked at actual with my own eyeballs, what people nationally have been saying. I haven't seen national people make their picks. I haven't been watching ESPN to hear the conversation. I've seen texters text things like, Hey, I was watching a show and the conversation on the show was like, Ohio state has no chance. Steven or Nathan or any texter who's been watching the coverage, wh- where do you think the national coverage is? Is that the real vibe that like everybody's leaning like, yeah, Bama's got it? I posted something tonight only because it was Urban Meyer making his pick because the Fox crew made their pick and three of those five picked Alabama all relatively close. I think maybe only one of those scores was over the spread. Uh, Urban picked Ohio State to win and so did Reggie Bush. I think Reggie Bush, Reggie Bush picked Ohio State to win, um, assuming Justin Fields is healthy. And then the two quarterbacks and Joel Klatt, sorry, uh, picked uh, Alabama to win. So it was three to two from those guys. I haven't seen picks across all companies. That's only one I happened to see just because it was urban. Steven, have you gotten a vibe at all? Have you been paying attention? I mean, we're busy, so maybe you haven't been. I've paid attention enough. It does seem like it's a situation where so it's either Alabama is going to just win this game because they're the most complete team 
in college football, and some people are still worried about Ohio State's death given COVID stuff. But then, or it's Alabama wins a close game, and Ohio State showed enough to at least keep up. Okay. All right, so we got Nathan taking the points, Alabama winning a close one. Steven, where are you? I went 55-50 to 50 Ohio State's going to win this game. I think the reason why is Mac Jones doesn't turn the ball over. He doesn't really seem to get rattled. Um, I think Ohio State might rattle him, and the, what showed me the proof of that is how they went, went against Trevor Lawrence because part of the thing with the Indiana game, we kept talking about can Ohio State get pressure. Well, we were only talking about the defensive front. We saw early in that Clemson game that they weren't afraid to send a linebacker at, at Trevor Lawrence. And I think they're going to try a similar approach early on where we might see Pete Warner or Baron Browning or Justin Hilliard go at him early and try to cause some pressure that way and try to rattle him. And I think at some point in the game, they might end up picking him off. And that might be where the difference is, is that turnover is where in a shootout, one small turnover might be the reason you win a game. And I think that's why Ohio State's going to win. How did you factor in what they may or may not be missing on the defensive line? Did you did you try to consider it or did you just figure like they'll be pretty much okay and that's not going to change how I view the game? Okay, I, I considered it a little bit, but a lot of that defensive line pressure didn't come till later on in the game. I just think we see more stuff. They try to do with the linebackers to maybe offset it. And like I said, they showed it against Clemson. So I think it's it's an issue, but it's not. it wasn't enough of an issue to where I can say – if there's one or two guys from the defensive line not playing, that's why they lost the game because I haven't seen a game yet this year where those one or two guys are the reason they won a game. I think, I think that's underselling a little bit. I mean, there's a couple guys, listen, I would say to me at this point, yes, they rotate guys and yes, they have depth, but I would say, Tell me if I'm wrong on this. Are we at the point where there are like five guys on the defensive line that you really believe in, in a game that you have no doubt about that you think really impact the game. And it's Cooper Smith and Harrison at end and Togi and Garrett at tackle. Am I missing anybody? It's like, yes, Antoine Jackson plays. Yes. Jaron cage plays. Yes. Javante John Baptiste plays. And yes, Tyler Friday might be available, but am I wrong to think of that group of five of se- as separating themselves? No, that, that that's pretty on point. I just think, if, if, if Ohio State can maybe get pressure in some other ways and not that's, that doesn't rely on just having that defensive front to offset it, I think they'll be fine because it, that pressure hasn't necessarily ended up in sacks anyway. And I think that's where it came down for me is because the, the actual sack number is not happening as often, I can breathe a little bit even if those guys aren't available, even though they are clearly the best of that group. Is that a fair characterization, Nathan, of those five? I do. I, I think that's probably true. You know, somebody in the chat asked earlier, said earlier, like, well, you know, other than Patrick Sertain, I don't really know that Atlanta, Alabama's defense has anybody that concerns me. And my response, I didn't send it, but like my response to that would be like, okay, well, if you're the average Alabama fan, who on this Ohio State defense concerns you? Like, they, they don't really have names yet, but it's like, there's maybe like, like, maybe you know enough to know about like Haskell Garrett and Tommy Togiai. And you respect the other guys they have on this defense, I think. But do you like fear them? Are you like really concerned about it? I think I think I'm not, and that, that's not me saying Ohio State has some kind of like paper defense. I'm just saying put that in perspective. I think both of these teams are 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 it, it's 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 similar there. Like I, I think we talk sometimes a little bit about Alabama as having just like this pushover defense, and I don't think that's necessarily the case. I mean, uh, what's his name? Dylan Moses is that his first name? 
Mm -hmm. The middle linebacker, he's an all SEC first team pick this year. He's a guy who's like a first round pick, had a knee injury last year. Is coming back off the knee injury. I think hasn't bit himself, hasn't quite bit himself. He still made first team all SEC. They had that Christian Barrymore guy on the defensive line. They had a couple years ago, they were just like rolling out like 300 pound guys with quick feet who'd eat you up. And I don't think their defensive line is quite like that. But I do think, I just don't, I don't think anybody's really going to stop anybody. I mean, I really, I really don't. That's not any great analysis, but I think, I think shootout is right. I think close is right. And I'm not making a pick as I said before. Um, I, I don't know. I think it could go either way. And the reason I'm not making a pick is because I'm old and I've been around forever and I've made plenty of picks and you guys are young and you're new and you're on the spot and you got to make them. But I don't like, I don't have enough of a handle. It's not informative. My pick wouldn't help anybody figure anything out. And, and I don't, I, I will say this, I think they're wherever things are trending. And as I've said on this podcast, this is why I want to make the, the picks last. I'm a little concerned if they have multiple guys out of those five, those five defensive linemen that I talked about, if they're only missing one of those five, I think they're okay. If they're missing two of those five, I get a little concerned. So I don't know where that's going to work out, but I think those five guys are different are the five difference makers and everybody else is rotational. And then I think Waddle's presence, if Waddle is actually Waddle, and now you have Waddle, Smith, and Mechie on the field, and I don't know how this secondary is going to match up. Now, again, those are two, those are all things that are on the side of Alabama offense versus Ohio State defense. And if, if my other point is, well, nobody's stopping anybody, then why does that matter? Okay. All of what I just said is true. Alabama scores it will, Ohio State scores it will. It's a coin toss. Okay. That's out there, but I just feel like there might be, to your point, Nathan, there might be a couple things that are trending a little tough for Ohio State. Can Ohio State win? Absolutely. 100%. Is, just, is Justin Fields the answer to everything? Absolutely. Is Justin Fields the best quarterback in this game? Steven, is Justin Fields the best quarterback in this game? Yeah, I think so. Mac Jones finished third in the Heisman. Justin Fields is a better quarterback. Yeah. So if you're trying to pick a team in a national championship game, you can do worse analysis than I'll take the team with the better quarterback. So that's, I mean, we could have had a two minute podcast and done that. Yeah. So, you know, the picks, we've got one pick for Ohio state. We've got one pick for Alabama. They're both high scoring and they're both close. So I'm not going to break the tie. What am I? I'm just some guy in a basement. They can win. And I do think, I do think if there's anybody there's anybody nationally who's analyzing it in a way that is Ohio state can't win. I think that's the only thing that's wrong here, mm -hmm. right? Like if that's your conclusion, I, I don't know where you're coming from on that. Cause what is it about Alabama's defense that makes you believe that they're really going to stop Ohio state and just like Ohio state's not going to stop Alabama. So that's where I am on that. Can we say, can we give the records real quick? Did I win? I lost the records. I don't have no, of course. Them. Oh, okay. Okay. Cool, cool. Cool. Can't you just go back to the last cool, podcast cool, cool, where you cool, said them cool, and then cool, add cool. the last games? Cool. 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 That's real. No, convenient. I, I have convenient. them. Okay. So tell me, tell me how we did in the, I didn't add up how we did in the, uh, in the other game. So you were the only person who was right. No, we all took the points with Ohio state. We all took the points. Yeah. So we were all right about Ohio state. Right, but I said I they was, were going to win, which is like, no, you don't get extra just, credit. We're picking the spread. spread. Just the spread. You don't get extra credit. Oh, we'll, cool, we'll, cool, 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 cool. We'll, we'll give you uh, – I'll tally things up, and we'll talk about them on the Sunday podcast, which is cool. not a picks podcast, but will be a final wrap-up of everything else. That's fair. 
I do the Browns picks on the Browns podcast, and the guy on the Browns podcast said I was three and one last week when I was four and zero, oh, and I practically punched him through the Zoom yeah, screen. Yeah, yeah. So I respect <laughs> wanting to have your record corrected on the air. And if you won, you won. We'll give you credit. We'll give you a little lap for sure. Um, thanks to everybody for hanging in. Enjoy yourself on Monday night. We'll have more text this weekend. This will be the Saturday podcast, and it'll go up tomorrow. We'll have like a final, I think, like rapid fire questions that we'll take from texters for the Sunday podcast. But man, what a season! We're honored that you guys would take it almost two hours out of a Friday night to come and hang out with us. Um, Cause honestly, we've got nothing else going on. I could not, if I did not have tech subscribers, there is no way I could get married again. And I couldn't find 74 people to come to anything having to do with my normal life. So the fact that we have you guys hanging out with us for Buckeye talk is unbelievable. All right, guys, thanks to everybody for hanging out here on Buckeye talk. We'll talk to you soon. For Nathan and Steven and everybody else here in the Zoom, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>